aren't you glad he takes us just as we are? I want to share two pieces of information with you before I dive into the sermon today. First, as many of you know, uh, we voted as a church to put our name on a float. And Tony Kaufman and a number of folks from Adult uh, 3-4, the Strong Foundations Department, put together the float. Did a wonderful job on that. And I want you to know they got first place in the nonprofit category uh, during the parade Friday. Plus, amen. I think that's awesome. Amen. So thankful for Tony having a heart to want to reach people and working with that class to do that. They were able to also hand out over a thousand invitations to our church during that time, which I thought was extremely cool. So, so grateful for that ministry opportunity, that mission opportunity. So thankful for uh, Tony and the others, Barbara and others, and their efforts in doing that. So, glory to God. One other thing I want to share with you, and I mentioned last week about this, is I want us to set aside 24 hours of prayer as a church on October 26th and 27th from 6 p.m. Friday night, 6 p.m. Saturday. Now, some of you are already praying for our church. That's good. I am too. We need to be. But what I want to encourage you to do is what I have put together, compiled. It's not original with me, but it's been used in revival preparations before. It's called a prayer guide for renewal. It's about 25 pages long. And really the emphasis of this, this booklet, this guide, is to help you and I personally think about our relationship with God and our, our, how we are set with God and how, our, how things are going there. And then from that, as we begin to work through that, we begin to pray. And so it's, uh, some people may say, and what I'm going to ask you to do is probably set aside 30 minutes on these, on these prayer, uh, on, the, on the prayer sign-up, and we'll start this next week with a prayer sign-up. Some people will say, well, you know, I can't, I can't pray 30 minutes. I promise you, if you'll work through the guide, it'll be hard to stop after 30 minutes. So just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. The sign-up list will be available starting Next week, the, the prayer guides will be available starting next week, and, and you'll, you'll have those out and available to you. Uh, I would love to, for every family to have a prayer guide they could take with them and use. And the sign-up time and the prayer time, you can do it at home. You can pray at home. You don't have to come up here. But we do want to encourage you to be involved. We believe prayer is a powerful thing. I believe it is, don't you? Because we have a powerful God. So we want to encourage you to be involved in that. Well, we're going through a series entitled Becoming an Acts 1-8 Church. What does that mean? It means fulfilling God's dream for his church today by learning from the church at the very, very beginning, that first century church. And Acts 1-8, the passage that's sort of the emphasis passage, which says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1-8 is, I believe, a standard, a template. That kind of church is, is what God desires for us today. He lays out God's dream for his church at the beginning, and it's God's dream today. So we've looked at these different areas, and this is an interesting sermon today because it steps a little bit away, but it still stays on the topic. Um, we've talked about putting yourselves in a position to meet God. We've talked about patiently embracing the pace of God. God has a speed he moves at. We've talked about being filled with the power of God and the importance of being willing to give up power in order to be filled with his power. We've talked about 
the need to proclaim the truth about God and to be productive for God. We took two weeks looking at that. And today we're going to talk about, it's a little bit different because where the focus is going to be, it's talking about being centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Centered on the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot be the church. I cannot be the Christian. You cannot be the Christian. God has called us to be unless our lives are centered on the person of Jesus Christ. This Bible was given to me 18 years ago tomorrow, October 1st, 2000. I was doing a wedding for Doug Lyon's daughter. And we were up in the Smoky Mountain at Cades Cove. Any of y'all have ever been there? Beautiful place to go. And I was beginning my time of serving at Mount Horeb Baptist Church. And Doug was the chairman of the deacons. He was involved in the life of the church. And Doug, over the next four and a half years, became a very good friend to me. He helped me. This is important for pastors to know, to know where the potholes are, how I needed to help people, encourage people. And Doug became a very close friend. In January of 2005, that's the Katrina year, Doug began to have some health problems. And we went with his family to the doctor for a diagnosis, and they found out that Doug had pancreatic cancer. Now, unless pancreatic cancer is encapsulated, it can be uh, not something that can be alleviated. I don't know any other way to say it than that. Doug, they said, had six months, and that was about right. He passed away around June, July of 2005, and um, I had a role, I did the service, and um, it was tough seeing Doug go through what he went through, and it was a difficult time for our church as we prayed for Doug, prayed over Doug, and we dealt with that time. One of the things that happened during that time is in my visits in Doug's home, Doug invited me over and we, we looked at some scripture. He just wanted me to read to him. So I said, how about the book of Romans? So I just started reading in the book of Romans. He's laying in the bed, dealing with the cancer. I just start reading. And I'm, I'm over here beside him. He's laying in the bed. I'm over here, and I have my Bible open. I'm just reading, just reading. And I get to Romans chapter 5, and he says, could you read that section again? And it's the section I'm going to read to you today. And I read it again. And then he reached over, and he, I don't remember if he touched, touched my leg or the Bible, and he said, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, during that time in my ministry life, I think that's something that needed to be drilled into me. Now, we assume that it's all about Jesus. Can, can I tell you in the Christian life, in life in general, and even in ministry, it's very easy for our lives to become about other things than Jesus. We can get focused on other things. I got reminded of this two other times before Hurricane Katrina, of all things. I had a good pastor friend of mine, Dennis Campbell, and I was talking to him about visiting people. And Dennis has a good way of saying something, and I feel rebuked after he said it, even though he didn't rebuke me. He's very evangelistic. And, and Dennis said, you know what we do? We mess up on a lot of times is we invite people to church, but we don't invite them to Jesus. 
Now, church is wonderful, but can I let you in a little secret? Church will not save a soul. Church will not save anybody. Church will not transform lives. Jesus is the one who changes lives. And then the last little statement that got me after Dennis's is I'm listening to a good friend of mine, Shannon Marshall, preach. And Shannon talks about an event that occurred in church. And Shannon's very evangelistic. And he's waiting at the back of the door, and people are greeting him. And one of his parishioners, members, came out, and they gave him what they thought was an insult, but he took it as a compliment. Because they said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All we ever hear from you is Jesus. And Shannon goes, it's the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Listen, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Let me give you some, a couple of passages of Scripture. Let me just build some evidence for that from the Word. This is from John 1. Talking about Jesus, it says, All things were made through him, Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And life, that life was the light of men. And then it says in Colossians 1, one of my favorite passages, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. It's all about Jesus. I want to tell you, the Acts 1-8 church was all about Jesus. They were all about Jesus. They were to be witnesses for Jesus. Paul preached Jesus at Pentecost. Peter and John preached and healed in the name of Jesus. There was no other name to be, by, by which a person could be saved than Jesus. Jesus came fulfilling Old Testament prophecies like Psalm 2 and Isaiah 53. The early church, it says, did not cease to teach and preach Jesus as the Messiah. Stephen, when he was being stoned, saw Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch confessed Jesus as Lord in almost 70 times in the book of Acts. Explicitly, Jesus is mentioned. And then the book ends with this statement. Last verse. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. And he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern, guess who? The Lord Jesus. With all confidence, no one forbidding him. The book of Acts is all about Jesus, beloved. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So let's take a look at the passage that Doug Lyons reached over and pointed to me about 13 years ago. And let's stand in honor of God's word. Romans 5, 8 through 11. And Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, 
much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, just help me to speak clearly today. Let us hear your word speak to our hearts, plant it deep, help it to grow. Help us to come to you realizing, Lord, this life is not about us. It's not about uh, personal self-promotion. It's about promoting Jesus. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I get into the meat of the message, I just want to give you a thought to ponder. It's not in my notes, but I've thought about this. How many of y'all believe that God is real? Say amen. How many of you believe he's genuine, genuinely interested in First Baptist Church Rosenberg? Okay, I do too. I absolutely do. He's, he's genuinely concerned about that. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this, and I'll be quick. Um, if your emphasis and my emphasis is on promoting any other thing than Jesus Christ, then why should God provide us the power to do whatever we think we want to do. From God's point of view, if our emphasis is on anything other than promoting Jesus Christ and lifting him and making him preeminent, what is God obligated to do to give us power we need to do anything or resources to do anything? But on the flip side of that, if we make as individuals and our church make it, listen, all about Jesus, what do you think God would do then? Do you hear what I'm saying? If you make your life all about Jesus, if somebody were to come up to you at some point in time in the future and say, Jesus, 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 all I hear from you is Jesus, don't you think God will stand with you in even a greater way? So I want you to think about this as we move through this message because the Acts 1-8 church was all about Jesus. Why should we make it all about Jesus? First, because we are made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're just going to be working through the passage. In verse 9, the term that's used in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, is the term justified. One of those churchy words. It simply means to be made right. You know why we were made right by Jesus? Because we are not right. We are not right. You know why we're not right? It's because of sin. Because of sin. You know, we don't talk enough in our culture today about the reality of sin, that there's things that offend God in all of our lives, and it's sin. I know the presumptive question we often ask about God in this world is this question. Why does a loving God do this? Why does he allow X? Why does he cause this to happen? Why does a loving God do this? And I am 100% in agreement that God is a loving God. Amen? But let's look at the flip side of that as well. Why does a holy God put up with this, put up with X. 
And you say, well, why does God allow evil? Well, let me ask you this. Evil includes my own personal sin, does it not? It includes your own personal sin. It includes all the times we fall short of his glory. We, we, we understand evil is those people who do these heinous things, but evil to God was also the Pharisee. Why does God allow it? Because he is a gracious God. But he doesn't have to. He's not obligated to. Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon that has been well quoted many times called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And although I can't say I agree with everything Edwards says, he makes an interesting analogy. He talks about God's justice as an arrow in a bow that's pulled back, ready to strike, and it's only the good pleasure of God that keeps that arrow from being let go. But I want to propose to you this. God did let the arrow go. Because justice had to be served. Blood had to be spilt for sin. And you know who that arrow struck? It struck Jesus. And by striking Jesus, and through what he did, through his blood, we are made right with him. Now, that doesn't mean you're automatically saved. Do you hear me? But the way has been made that if you trust in Jesus, you can have eternal life. Because here's the deal. You can't save yourself. You can't handle God's arrow. There's no way you can make up for your sin in your life. But Jesus took the arrow for us. So that if we might give our lives to him and turn our lives over to him and trust in him, we would have eternal life because we are made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. Beloved, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about who? Jesus. Second, why is it all about Jesus? Because we are reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus' blood took the arrow for us, Jesus Christ's death brought us peace. When Jesus died, God laid down the bow of his wrath, empty of his arrow. And that word reconciled in verse 10 means there has been a change in a relationship because of the work of God. God, through Jesus' death, did everything that was necessary to restore the relationship between us and him. And even though we are the guilty party in this division, God through Jesus did what was necessary to make the relationship right. I love 2 Corinthians 5. Here's what it says about reconciliation. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or declaring their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It means what Christ has done, we must tell others. That is our ministry. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God laid down his bow and is willing to make peace with you. God has paid the debt that you owed on the relationship that you could not pay. And he did it all through Jesus. Why is it all about Jesus? It's 
It's all about Jesus because we are made right through his blood. We are reconciled through his death. And number three, we're kept right before God by the resurrection. Because he's not still in the grave. Amen? He is alive today. We are kept right by him as well. The term in verse 10, shall be saved. It means that one who is made right is kept right with God from now on. We do not keep ourselves right. We are kept right by Jesus Christ. Scripture says this, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 8.29-32, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, whom he called, whom he also justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. In light of that, what shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. We are are kept right through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it's the only one I got right now. It's sort of like purchasing a car, at least if you do it on credit. You know, you can buy a car tomorrow, but let's be honest. You're in the process of buying it if you put it on credit. If I go purchase a new car, I've purchased a new car, but then I've still got to make payments. And then one day it'll be paid off. Everybody with me on that. Does that make sense? So you purchase it, you're purchasing it, and one day it'll be purchased. Now here's the deal. I don't do the purchasing in this thing. I didn't do the purchase in this thing, and I don't do the will purchase in this thing. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. The one who saved me keeps me. The one who keeps me completes me. It's all about Jesus Christ. He is my past salvation, my present, and my future salvation. He is the completer of all things. Now, there's a role I have. Colossians 2.6 says this, As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I must with legitimate and real and tangible faith put my faith and trust in him. Just like when I was saved and I turned my life over to him and I didn't just believe in that he's real, it's giving him my life type of belief, then I give that with the rest of my life. I say, Lord Jesus, I didn't just trust in you back then. I am trusting in you today because I know that I can only be kept right by you. And he who began a good work in you, beloved, will complete it. Amen? He'll keep you right. That's why it's all about Jesus. So are you trusting in him to keep you? Because he will. There's this wonderful statement, I think it's in 2 Timothy, where Paul says, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Isn't that good to know? Here's the last thing I want to point to you this morning. We're made right through the blood of Jesus. We're reconciled through the death of Jesus. We're kept right through the resurrection. And finally, we rejoice in God through the lordship of Jesus Christ. Through the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus being Lord is not a burden. Jesus being Lord is a blessing. I don't have to worry about what to do in my life anymore. Because I'm not in charge of it anymore. Did you know that? Jesus is. So I just need to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
That's why Jesus was able to say in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Because they were so burdened down with all these obligations and laws and things that they had to do or thought that they had to do. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Just follow me. Just follow me. Let me handle it. And I'm here to tell you, the longer I live, the more I realize that Jesus can do a better job with my life than I can. It's all about Jesus. He is the one who saved us. He's the one who's saving us. And if you're going to glory in anything, glory in Jesus Christ. If you're going to brag on anybody, brag on Jesus Christ. If you're going to point to anybody, point to Jesus Christ. We should appreciate and respect and applaud those who accomplish things, but there is no accomplishment in my life that begins to compare with what Jesus has done for me and is doing for me. And is going to do for me. One final note about making it all about Jesus. If you're a person centered on Jesus. Then you're going to long for what he longs for. You're going to love what he loves. And you're going to want what he wants. Can I tell you Jesus wants people saved. Jesus wants the world to know that when he shed that blood. It was for them. That they need to come to him. And We are called to be ambassadors. There's this great story about an evangelist. Anybody ever heard of Dwight Moody? D.L. Moody? Some people have. This is a neat story from Moody's life. Moody did a lot of evangelistic work, especially over in Great Britain. And the British clergyman would visit him because here's this guy who didn't have all these degrees, but God was using him mightily with regard to evangelism in the world at that time. And they, they were wondering, what's the deal? Why is he so effective and powerful. So Moody took the three men, the three clergymen with him to the window of his hotel room. And he pointed outside at the people on the street. And he said to them, what do you see? And they would say, well, I see that person over there. They look like they've maybe got some money. I see this person. They're a beggar. They would look at them, and they would describe them, and Moody would let each of them do that. And then they'd look at Moody and say, well, Brother Moody, what do you see? And he said, this is what I see. I see people who are lost and dying and are going to hell if they don't come to know Jesus Christ. That's what I see. And I'm here to tell you, that's got to be the church's perspective today. With more and more people who are unchurched, more and more people who are, don't even know the name of Jesus, even with our own culture, within our county that is so diverse, we don't need to assume people know who Jesus is. We need to let them know. We need to tell them about Jesus because without him, we can do nothing. Without him, they cannot be saved. People need the Lord. People need Jesus. There is no plan B. It's Christ and Christ alone. Because it is all about Jesus. And we need to rejoice in his lordship. Because y'all can watch the news this week and see how bad rulers in a nation can mess things up. No matter how bad, where you fall on an issue. You take humans without Christ and you let them run something, they will mess it up. Amen? That's the truth. But if Jesus is Lord, 
it changes. So, I want to leave you with these three thoughts. These four thoughts. It's all about Jesus because we are made right through the blood of Jesus. We are reconciled through the death of Jesus. We are kept right through his resurrection and we can rejoice because he's Lord. And I want to leave you the two questions that I've left you with the past two weeks. And I want to try as best as I can to give you some application to these. Why is this important today? Well, here's, here's a thought about that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The content of the church has never changed, should never change. It ought to be all about Jesus today. In fact, it ought to be louder today than it was back then or just as loud. The world still needs to know about Jesus. And why does this concern me, Brother John? Why is it so important for me? Well, here's the deal. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, understand that Jesus is the only way someone can be saved from the wrath to come. He's the only way someone can be saved from the wrath to come. Second, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you must, you've got to, in every area of your life, make it all about Jesus. For those who would say that this is not what the world wants to hear, you are right. For those who would say this is not what the world wants to hear, you are right. But this is what the world needs to hear. This is what the world needs to hear. So let's make it all about Jesus. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed in just a moment. Brian's going to lead us all in a song that speaks of how important Jesus is. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. In just a second, as you sing those words, you think about them personally as you sing them. Because this gospel is a personal thing. He, he died for you. He died for you. He paid it all for you. So why don't you trust in him today? Father, I just lift this congregation up to you, Lord. There's unbelievers here. I pray that they'll give their heart and life to Jesus today. Father, if there's believers here who have not allowed you to take the preeminent place in all aspects of their life, I pray that you would convict them of that and draw them to you. You did pay it all. That means you own it all. That means you're Lord of all. So, Father, I pray that we'll meditate on that and let that hit us in our heart and change our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen.